And at the very beginning, I wanted, when we had the first shear, I wanted to state that although I don't always quote the source of what I'm saying, I sometimes say Ramban says this, but there are things from myself, but there are many things which I heard from others from the Mashkiach of of Lakewood, Rav Solomon, or I heard from Rav Wolfson, the Mashkiach of Tarvadas. Um, so I just want to make clear that sometimes there are things that are said that may be attributed, and many times I don't remember who said it, but I remember the part. Um, I know that uh, Rabbi Moshe Mayer Weiss, he was, his first teaching position was by me, I gave really? him the job, and he, Baruch uh, Hashem, has gone out to tremendous shiurim and everything. And in those days, even he said to me, a good vart here, a good vart there. Could be from him, could be from Rabbi Sacher, friend, whomever. So there, there's a lot of them that um, have deposited some good information and good things. In addition to the things that I see and that I sometimes quote them and sometimes I don't if I don't remember clearly. I want to begin tonight with being sent his Yosef, his son, Yosef, to go find the brothers and to see how they were shepherding the sheep. Now, if you step back for just a moment, one would wonder why would Yaakov Avinu send out Yosef to see that? These were older brothers who were always shepherding the sheep. And I told you once that the Arizal says that these sheep had the neshamas of Klal Yisrael. And as people got married and had children, there was one less, one less. This is where it was like the treasure chest for the neshamas. So the mere fact that he sent him out, go check up on your brothers. He wasn't an older brother that he would come back and say, yeah, everything is fine. And he told them, told Yosef, that they are probably in Shechem. And we remember the city of Shechem from last week, that Shechem in that city violated Dina, and the whole city was killed out. But Shimon and Levi were the ones who did it. They were Dina's brothers. So it set a precedent, and the Mepharshim say that's the reason that Yaakov sent Yosef there, because Yaakov Avinu knew very well that there was jealousy, there was hatred. The Pesach says it. Vayikanu vo'echav. And it says, Vayisna'u, so they hated Yosef. Yaakov Avinu was aware of this. And he felt that since they were in Shechem, a city that brought harmony back to, they wiped out the city, but they felt that civilization can't exist with allowing such an outrageous violation of Abbas Yaakov, of, of Dina. So it brought in their minds a certain shlemus of peace of mind when the story happened. And that, they say, is the reason that Yaakov Avinu sent 
Yosef to the city of Shechem to see the brothers because he knew that they hated him and he had hoped that since that city, Shechem brought about peace of mind to all of the Shivtei to the whole family, that now again, that when he'll get there and they hate him, that maybe it will, it will invoke the opportunity of having peace reign amongst them. And that's why he sent out, not because he was worried about the sheep, but because he felt it was shalom achecha, as the Pasuk says, the peace of your brothers, go see how they are. So we see that association sometimes can be very effective in bringing about an atmospheric change for people. That means sometimes a person enjoyed a year or a, a 10 summers in a certain place and they loved every minute and they couldn't wait for the next year to come back again. And they were down about something. So they took a trip to the place that they haven't gone to for 20 years. But because there was so much happiness and laughter that, that encompassed the atmosphere, that by going back to that place, they thought that it would pick up their spirits and that would revive their despondency. And that's why Yaakov Avinu sent to Shechem Yosef. Because he felt that in Shechem, Levi and Shimon succeeded in bringing peace of mind to the peace of mind to the family, and that maybe now it would bring again peace of mind. To the brothers, even though the Pasuk said, so they hated him, and by Yikanu they were jealous of him. And the Gemara, as a matter of fact, says, what, what brought out this level of jealousy? The fact that he made the Kesonas Pasim, that tunic, that colored tunic, and It was favoritism, and the Gemara says that a person should that a person should learn from this story that a person should never ever favor openly. That means a person, let's say, loves all of his children. But he has a favorite, and there's someone there that he tends to show the favoritism. It's not a favor for him, because you may favor him with what you do, but it can awaken the source of jealousy and hatred against that child. Uh, he's the favorite, he's the... and whatever. Now, we know that he was not there. The Ramban points out a very basic point.
point that's good for all of us to remember as we go through the days of our lives. We should remember it. Because the Ramban says that he was sent to Shechem to find the brothers. He got to Shechem, and there was a man there who we know was Gavriel, the Malach. And he saw Yosef looking around in the field and coming back and going forth. And he said to him, can I help you? Are you looking for something? And he said, yes, I'm looking for my brothers that they were supposed to supposedly here shepherding the sheep. So he said they were here. But I heard them say they're going to Doisen. Doisen, another city nearby. And they were taking all the flock and they were going to pasture over there. So he then went there. And that's when they grabbed him. They took off the tunic. And they, they first, they had a bezden, because they held he had a din of a roidith. That means if someone is coming after you on the street with a gun, you're allowed to kill him. You don't have to ask, well, I better make sure that he wants to kill me. You don't have to ask anybody. If he has that gun in his hand and, he, and, you, and he's calling your name, he's looking for you, you can assume that he's looking for you to kill you. And if you have a gun, just pull out the gun and shoot him. That's called a rodef and a nirgov. Mm -hmm. Now, the brothers sat down. They felt that, as the Medrash says, Yosef was bringing back elavim dibosem ra. Uh, they're eating aver uh, menachai. They're doing this. They're doing that. And they felt that he wanted eventually to, to have them killed. So that he had a din of a roidef and they were allowed to kill him. So, I mean, they threw him into a pit with snakes. The Pusik says there was no water. But Rashi says, yeah, there was no water. But there were snakes and there were scorpions in that pit where they threw him. So the Ramban says that there is such a thing and we should always remember this. And I'm quoting his, his Loshan. His Loshan is, I'll find it in a second, but basically what he said, what? <coughs> basically what he says is that Hagazera emes v'hacharitzus sheker. And this Ramban, many of the Bali Musser, I mean, realize the Ramban was the only person who was zoichet to be buried in Ma'aras HaMachpelah. There's four couples there, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Leah. There, is a, there were four couples and no one else was supposed to be buried there. And at the side, if you go there to Maris HaMachpela in Hebron, often you will see a minion at the edge of the building, davening, saying Tillam, and that is the Kabbalah that the Rabban who lived 950 years ago, 
And from him, let's say, to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov was a, a span of 3,000 years, I mean, a, a long time that no one else was buried there and that Menashemayim, they allowed the Ramban to be buried. In Maris HaMachpelah, at that edge there, tells you who the Ramban must have been. So he says a rule, Hagazera Emes, that when Hashem wants to do something, that's the truth, because whatever he does is 100% truthful. Sometimes it appears to us to be good, and sometimes it appears to be bad. But Hagazera Emes, the diligent activities of mankind. And what does that really mean? There's a Yiddish saying, a tracht and got lacht. That a person says, oh no, this has to be, and I have to that, and I have that. And he's planning, and this is the right thing to do, and this is the right way to go. But the bottom line is that HaKadosh Baruch was sitting there laughing because what has to happen in the 6,000 years, you know, they showed, HaKadosh Baruch showed Adam Harishan from the day he was born to the end of time, the 6,000 years. The Gemara says that Mashiach has to come by the year 6,000. So we're now in the year 5,782, which leaves you around 218 years. That's by the end that he has to come, whether we deserve or we don't deserve. We are hoping that a Kodesh Baruch won't wait because every single generation, excuse me, is so desperate because every person has problems. Every person has, every family has shortcomings, difficulties, and they all in the minds know that we have lived, I mean, we break a glass under the chuppah with a new chosen kala about remembering Yerushalayim and that Mashiach, we're hoping, will come. We do this throughout everything that we do. So the Ramban says, here they thought that Yosef thought he's going to their Yaakov Avinu thought he's going there to make peace with his brothers, to Shechem, because that was a place of peace. And what ended up happening? They weren't there. He ended up in Dosen, and the, the whole plan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was in the driver's seat, and whatever Yaakov Avinu thought or Yosef thought didn't happen. We know it was for the good. When Yosef was grabbed and thrown into the pit. So Yehuda stepped forward and said, what are we doing over here? They had Paskin as a Besdin that he was hiding Misa. But they said, it's our brother still. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. They pulled him out of the pit and they sold him to the, to the Arabs. And Rashi makes a point of saying that they were Arab. There was besumen in his, there was cologne. There was perfume in his, because most Arabs dealt even then in oil. And if he would have been in a pure oil transport, he would have suffered bad smell for the entire trip. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to the dot 
how much he had to suffer and how much I, and part of the suffering was not the trip from there to Egypt to show how perfect HaKadosh Baruch Hu's cheshboinus and his, his considerations are. But the Ramban wants to bring out that that has to be the backbone and structure of life of each and every individual that we have to plan to the best of our abilities and we have to consider ramifications and other things but that's only to the best of our human ability. Because it could be that a Kurdish Berkeley has a completely different plan, and that's why some things do happen or don't happen. Now, I want to say to you that Ruving was thinking the whole time, I'm not going to allow this to happen because I am the Bukhor. And if I allow this whole scheme that they want to kill him and they want to sell him, he didn't know about the selling. You see, the Pasuk says, Ruven went and he went home to his father. And Rashi says, why did he suddenly go home? So Rashi says the first point, that all of the brothers divided up, divvied up the days who had to take care of their father. And the day of Ruven going and taking care of the father was that day. So when they were grabbing him and threw him into the pit, he ran back to Yaakov to take care of his needs. But Rashi says another reason that he was besako uvitaniso, he was doing tshuva. And what was he doing tshuva for? That when, that when Rachel died, when Rachel died, so Yaakov took his bed and put it into the tent of Bilhah, which was the maidservant of Rachel. And Ruvain said, what? When he was married to Rochel, there were two wives, my mother, Leah, and Rochel. And he chose Rochel, that was his choice. But now Rochel's not here, and he's not going to go to my mother, he's going to go to the maidservant of Rochel. He couldn't swallow it. And he took the bed of Yaakov and put it into the tent of his mother. And it says that he went back to put on a sackcloth and sat in ashes, lamenting and doing tshuva, repenting for that which he took the bed and put it over there. So the question that all the Mepharshim ask is why now? That story of when Rachel died happened eight years before. Yosef was just nine years old. Today in our Seder, he's 17. The Pasuk says, Ben Shva Esrei Shana, 17 he was, everything about him. So Ruvain decided, so why did it suddenly happen? So the Mephorkin say an interesting thing. 
Because he didn't do tshuva for the nine years. He spent, this was his first day of doing tshuva for that. So Ruvain, the Mephorshim say, came to this conclusion. He said, you know, we sat as a Bezdin and they him that he, he should have the death penalty. Yosef. But my brothers had Nagiyas because they hit the Pasuk says, so by They were jealous of him and they hated him. Mm -hmm. So how can you sit down as part of a Bezdin to judge someone when you hate the person? I mean, that's a halach and shochanach that if a judge, we take a bezin of three people and one of the dayanim says, well, this guy I had a story with 10 years ago and I hate him. and I, uh, He's not allowed to sit there as part of the bezin. He can't be totally impartial. So Ruvain said, when I saw what my brothers just did and they paskened that he's high of Misa, even though <clears throat> there was such hate and jealousy for him, that means a person can be swayed by his partiality. He can be swayed. So I probably, <coughs> for the love of my mother, for her dignity and for her respect, was swayed and did what I did, which was stepping out of line as a child to direct the traffic with where my father's bed will be and won't be. So that's why when he saw what the brothers could do, he went back to do tshuva, and that's why it was nine years later, but that's when it struck him. And many times we have opinions that we have shaped and molded into our psyche about this person and that person, and we go through life with a lot of baggage of negativity that we cannot move out of that mold because we are we are there and we feel in the mold that I was right and I did this and I did that. The successful person could move himself as hard as it is out of that mold and be able to repair. You know, all of us know life is so short. Uh, let's call a spade a spade. We, when we're 20, we think we'll live forever. When you turn 50, 60, you realize that, wait a second, no, I don't think I'm going to be living forever. You know, it's, a, it's sad, but it is a reality. So if a person could just at least shake them out of that position, they can gain so much, because what do they have to carry the baggage I have well, that one I don't talk to, and that one I don't want to see. And, uh, you know, it's like they say that if someone doesn't want to give out Hanukkah presents, so he has to just have a political discussion with his relatives at the Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and that solves it. He's not giving out to anyone. This one he's angry at, and that one that. You know, when you bring up politics, you've got ten opinions when there's ten people there. So if we could move out of the mold, we can shake ourselves loose. So Reuven came back, and he sees that Yosef is not in the boar. He didn't know that the, after he left, the brothers pulled him out and sold him. And that is the reason the Arizal says, 
that the Asara Haruke Malchus, the ten martyrs who lived 70, 1800 years later, were killed by the Romans because, because the because the the brothers that the brothers the Zoyar Kodosh says that we know that the halacha is if you kidnap someone, this is the halacha, but you don't gain any money from that kidnapping, then you were over a love. That means you did an avera, you kidnapped someone, even if you gave back the person. You didn't kill them, you didn't harm them, you had an avera. But the halacha is if you kidnap someone, and you sell, you ransom, or your, or whatever, then you have a death penalty. Wow. That's the halacha. That is the law. So the Zoyar Kaddish asks a question. If these brothers went and sold him to the Ishmaelim, they took the, they took the 20 silver coins and bought themselves shoes. And that's the reason we don't wear shoes, Yom Kippur as a kapara, an atonement for those shoes that the brothers bought. But pushing that aside, the Zoyar Kodesh says, so if they sold and they gained something, they why didn't they die? So the Zoyar Kodesh says, because they were so big that there was no malach, no saraf, no oifan, no, no srofen that were big enough to take on the shvatim to execute them. They wanted to. They're high of Misa, they're, they have the death penalty. But if any one of the angels in heaven, no matter how high or how low, and there's different levels, there's Malachim, there's Oifanim, there's Srofim, there's Chayas HaKodesh, there's different levels, would have come to punish or to take the life of one of the Shvatim, they would have absolutely destroyed from head to toe the, the angel. They couldn't come near them. They were so big, the Shavotim. They were so big. So is there somebody there by the door? In the hallway? I'm talking about over there. No, no, okay. So, um, so the Zoyer says that they couldn't. Until they were Niskalgo. They were reincarnated and they came into the Tanoim. And those ten Tanoim that were killed, martyred, we read it on Yom Kippur, we read it as part of the liturgy on Tishabov, Arzealovanon. We talk about these ten martyrs. So the question says the Arizal is there was one of the Tanoim, Rabbi Akiva was killed. They were all ten famous, but Rabbi Lazar was not killed. He was walking down. The, the Romans never touched him. He was walking in the middle of the street on, in broad daylight. The others were hiding. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi ran into a to a cave that he stayed for for twelve years and then a thirteenth year. But Rabbi Lozav Reb Herkinis, the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva, was no problem. 
He was walking around the streets. Everything was wonderful. Says the Arizal, because he was the neshama of Reuven. And Reuven was not there when they sold him. So he wasn't with the death penalty. So he was untouchable. That's the reason he was not touched. And it went so far that they only had nine brothers because Binyamin wasn't there either. And they needed a minion to sell him. A minion to, that they were doing the right thing. So it says, the Marshot talks about it in the Gemara, that they were Mitzarif. They were Mitzarif. They included HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, I don't know if you heard what I just said, but it's like the most shocking thing. Come in, Frida. Frida, we have to set your clock back. Uh, uh, do you, do you, I want to repeat it because I want to make sure you heard what I said. They needed a minion, and they only had nine men. So they were Mitzarif HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he was the tenth man. They made HaKadosh Baruch Hu the tenth to their scheme. I mean, it's like unbelievable. They were so big that they were able to say, oh, we only have nine. Uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're going to be the tenth. And so much so, they asked the question, Yosef was down in Mitzrayim. Why didn't he send a message to his father? His father was sitting there crying for 22 years. He knew where his father was, not far away. The brothers even came down to get food. And he knew it was the brothers, as we see in next week's Sedra, that he accused them of being spies and accused them of this and of that. Why didn't he just send a message when he became the viceroy? Father, don't despair. I'm feeding the whole world. Don't worry about me. Yet he was sitting there, and the Pusik even says in this week's Sedra that his father, Yitzhak Avinu, was still alive. Still, and he knew that Yaakov was, that Yosef was okay, but he couldn't because when they took Akkadish Baruchu as the tenth man, they made everybody swear. Nobody would reveal to Yaakov that the son Yosef was still alive and he was okay because he was away from his father when he went to get the Shidduch and he went for 14 years to Shem Ve'ever. So for 22 years he had to suffer thinking that Yosef was devoured by some wild animal. But Ruvain who wasn't by the Mechira, says the Arizal, was in Rebelazar of Hercules, and he was left out of this whole thing. And when it became time for it to be revealed, and even revealed, he knew he wasn't supposed to reveal, because he was part of the minion, that is the time that everyone found out about it. We see Ashgacha from that story alone, from these words of the Arizal, that we, you know, we are so tiny, we're like ants, like flies, 
we see a world picture. Oh, how could our Kodesh Baruch Hu have done this and done that? I don't understand. Yeah, you don't understand. Because you're not in the driver's seat. You're sitting on the floor in the back of the bus. You don't even see the road of why he's swerving and what's going on. So it's an important lesson to us to be able to carry the day and to realize what's going on. Now, there is a very famous question. The Pusik says that Yaakov loved Yosef ki ven zekunim hu lo. Because he gave birth to him when he was older. So this was like his his baby, his, his special, and the Pusik says it. So the Meforshim asked a very striking question. Why wasn't Binyamin? The Benzer. He was born eight years after after Yosef. Why did, the, did he favor Yosef so much and learn with him and he made him the tunic, the colored, the kasonis, pasim? Why not Binyamin? Yes? I, I think that maybe, my thinking only, maybe um, he blamed Benyamin for the, the whole death because she died at... Uh, That's exactly what the Mephorshim said. He didn't blame him. He loved him. But to say that he loved him at the same level as Yosef, he couldn't bring himself because every time he saw Benyamin, he saw Rochel. Yaakov saw Rochel in her because Rochel died at childbirth when she gave birth to Benyamin. So the death of his beloved wife, who he was the closest to her, was at the death. He didn't blame Benyamin, but there was a tinge of something that evoked in his mind, in his heart, when he saw Benyamin, that it couldn't be the level of Ben Zekunim of Yosef. What? It happens today too sometimes. Yes, yes it does. It does. And the Mephorshim don't say it as a criticism to Yaakov. It, it's Yaakov, as big as he was, and he was the one that had the Shivtekah, and he was the Bechir Sheba Ovos. And by Yaakov, it says, Lo Mace. It doesn't say by Yomas that he died. By Avram, it says he died, and by Yitzchak, it says he died. But it doesn't say it. And Rashi says, Mikan, and he quotes the Gemara. Sheyakov lo mace. Now it doesn't mean that he's still walking around, that he's alive, because we know he's buried in Maris Hamachpela. What it means is, say the Mekubalim, that when a person dies, there are stages of what he has to go through. There's a thing called Chibat Hakever that all the Taivas uh, of this world that he enjoyed. It's like when you take a quilt and you put it on a line outside, and then you take something and you hit the quilt because you want to get the dust out. That's what happens to the neshama. The tigers are knocked out of the neshama. Now, there's a way of protecting the neshama, and that is, we say, tillin. After the person is put into the ground and there's an attack on the person, on the neshama, we say Mishnayis, we right away say Akadish, the Yehishmei Rabbah protects the Neshama from the onslaught. Like the Gemara says, that every night a person dies, uh, I'm sorry, goes to sleep, 
and his neshama, some nights go up and some don't. It just hovers outside, out of the body. But when it goes up, all the affairs of his day come and greet him. So the Gemara says, the cherev pifios biyadam, that when a person says Shema before he goes to sleep, that becomes his sword, that those avaris of his day that he did, all those sins, all the Lashon Hara, all the whatever he was doing, that they come after him, that it is his Krishna before going to sleep that protects him. Just like the Gemara, the Zohar Kodesh says, that when a person wakes up, we know that the Tumah that goes on his body while he was sleeping leaves his body except for his hands. That's why if a person takes a piece of food before he washed Negovasar, you have to throw the food away. But the Zohar Kodesh says that that's why he shouldn't stand out of bed. Many people get out of bed, they go into the sink, kitchen, bathroom, and they wash my So the Zayr says that lahalacha is okay. That's mutter. In other words, you're allowed to do that. But if he wants any, Zayr says it, he wants any hatzlocha that day, if he stood out of the bed, he put his foot on the floor, and he started to walk even one step, he cannot be matzliach that day. The hatzlocha is not with him. That's why we have the minig al pikabola, to lean out of the bed and to wash our hands, to have a basin. You all know what I'm what I'm talking about. A basin right next to the bed that we wash. We wash. So anyway, so the reason that he was not called the benzikunim is because there was a tinge of sadness every time Yaakov Avinu saw. So the neshama. Yaakov Vinu had a free ticket. He didn't have any chibat hakever that hitting the, the quilt didn't have any of that. Uh, he didn't have, after he was buried, he didn't have any problem with anything that may have been a criticism or an item that he shouldn't or should have done. He was protected by the Yeheshmei Rabbah, but he did. He was the only one. Avram and Yitzhak needed it, but not Yaakov Avinu. And that's why the Rashi says, and quotes the Gemara, She Yaakov Avinu Lomes, that he didn't have to go through all of that process. It's like a person stands in line for two hours to get something that they need in the store. What happens if somebody comes out inside from inside the store and says, Oh, Rachel, come here. You don't have to stand in the line. Just come right into the store. That was Yaakov Avinu's neshama coming straight in without any of the processes that have to go on for the 12 months that we are in Avelis for a neshama that has departed from one's goof. Now, <clears throat> I want to say to you that Yosef, <coughs> excuse me, was tested. 
Yosef was tested. We know in this week's parasha there's a shalshelis on the word vayemoein. Vayemoein. You can see why I won't be a singer. <laughs> anyway, the Balkar, there are four shalshelises in the five one in Parshas Vayera, one in Chayisara, one in Vayeshev, this week's Sedra, and then in Vayikra, the second Sedra in Tzav, there's a Shalshelis, the fourth and final Shalshelis, that he refused <coughs> to succumb to the temptation, Potiphar Potifar, saw that children have to come out of her house from Yosef. That she would have descendants. She thought it was herself. And that's why she tried to get him, you know, to seduce him. She didn't realize it was the girl who was growing up in her house, Osnas, who was the daughter of Dina, who was born after she was violated by Shechem, and Yaakov Avinu had sent her out of his house. He didn't want her there. This girl, Osnas, who was born from Shechem and Dina, he put a kamea around her neck, and it said, Osnas bas Dina bas Yaakov. To identify her. When Yosef saw that, he realized it was his niece, and he married her. And she was indeed the mother of Ephraim and Benasha, the two sons of Yosef. So, um, Shifton, can I ask you to pour me some uh, seltzer? Okay, thank you. Um, and Yosef had Sadik. Oh, thank you very much. You know, sometimes you start talking and you get so parched. Thank you. So, the Pusik says that he refused in any which way. But then the Pasuk says he came one day to do his work. So the Gemara says, what kind of work? So there's two opinions. One opinion was he was coming to do his regular, whatever his assignment was to work in the house there. That's what he came to do. But there's another opinion, Melachto, that he finally was going to give in and do the Avera. The Gemara says... He came to work that day according to that opinion, that he was giving in and he was going to be intimate with Aishas Potiphar. And suddenly, in the window, there appeared in front of him, in the window, his father, Yaakov Avino, was there, 
And he said, you came to do the Avera? <clears throat> you should know you do it. You're out of the genealogy, the future of Klal Yisrael. You're going to cross that line. You're out. And he didn't do it. Now, let's remember that she said, the Pasuk says, Lishkav Etzla, Leosima. Leosima, Lishkav Etzla, Leosima. And what does Rashi say? Take a look at Rashi. She said to him, listen, I want to be with you physically here in this world. And if you don't want, no problem. So at least promise me an Olamabo. Now, for a woman that was interested in something physical, bad, or whatever it was, what do you mean? You're perfectly happy if you don't do anything now, but just promise me that we'll be together in Olam Hapa. So we see, and that you should know that, and the Medrash says, that she meant it, l'shem shamayim, a hundred percent. She meant it. And that's why the story of Tamar and Yehuda is the very next thing. And the, and the Medrash asked, why did you put the juxtaposition, this story right next to that story in the Torah? And answers that, that just like That just like, just like the story of Yosef and Ashes Potiphar, there was a kavana l'shem shemayim. So too was the story with Yehuda and Tamar. Um, but what do we take from the fact that Yaakov Avinu appeared? Now we know if we talk to twenty people and ask them, what is your relationship, or what was your relationship with your father, with your mother? When the parents have passed on, usually it's a lot better, because if, let's say, they're alive, there's something bothering them that this happened last week, and there's something live in their mind, but the sadness of a departure brings them to appreciate the, the, the whole life they worried about me. A child, you know, they come a little bit to their senses at that point. But the Meforshim say, how did Yosef, who was just a 17-year-old boy, put into 42nd Street with no one around and the promiscuity, the, 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 the atmosphere was so decadent. How did he survive? And he was so handsome. The Medrash says the girls used to love, when he went with his chariot, they used to line up by the walls and they threw their jewelry at him just so that he should pick up his eyes to see them for two seconds. They were so enamored, so infatuated with his looks. So how did a boy like that, 17 years old, survive? And the answer is after he saw his father in that window, that the deep 
seated love and respect was at such a level that he just couldn't cross that line. What is the lesson for us? That for those who are we are close to, whether it's children or it's a sister or it's an aunt, an elderly aunt, whoever we are close to, that person has to do their best. The Mephoshim say this. Have to do their best to conjure up an atmosphere that the love and the respect will be maximum. So that when the one who they are maximizing and refining their character and living up to standards that they should be, it will effectuate the relationship with the child or the grandchild or the niece or the nephew or the brother or the sister, that when they will think of them, it will invoke the fear of God. That respect will do it. And that message was how when he saw his father's image and he had learned with his father and his father was so close to him, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. So it's a message to each and every one of us with all of our relationships, regardless of who they are and what, because we can always be mashpia, we can influence through that positivity and that respect how the people will live up to. Like, you know, I like it quiet at my Shabbos table, not quiet, but when we're singing, or there's different Torah, I'd like it to have. So you see that there is, by almost all of them, a level Baruch Hashem of respect. And for the Kedusha Shabbos, it's not just me, I'm only a shliach, a messenger, leading the table. But when you set standards or you set certain goals, and they're noble, Someone, a lot of people set noble, you know, they got to have a new $100,000 kitchen. I mean, my, my next door neighbor, she got it. And there's no way <laughs> I'm going another 10 years without a new kitchen after what she got. And the husband can't make more than $100,000 a year. And to make that kitchen, he has to stay at work from 6 o'clock when he used to go home to 10 o'clock. And he forfeited in the name of a kitchen, sitting and having dinner with his children, relaxing, going to learn for two hours. Doesn't have the time. Now he's coming home dead tired, falls on the, on the couch, and 20 minutes later he didn't go in to eat the dinner that his wife labored over for two hours to make for him. Why? Because of the kitchen. So we set standards, and the children learn from it. Why isn't Tati home? For, well, he has to work. Uh, we need the extra money. We don't. That's a message to children? And how many fall into it? So the point being that we have to set levels and standards and goals, and they have to be looked at 40 years later, with admiration, 
50 years later with admiration. So I want to say that to you. And because Yosef withstood and there was so much decadence in Mitzrayim, not one Jew crossed the line. There was no Devar Erva ever in Mitzrayim. There was one case with Shlomo's Pastivri that what happened, Dustin's wife, but besides that thing in 210 years, and when we say on Pesach that the Yidden fell to the 49th level, and had they stayed in Mitzrayim any longer, they would have fallen into the 50th, that's really referring to Avodah. It doesn't mean, when we say that to people, a lot of times their minds go, oh, they must have had, uh, you know, the arroyos, they must have, who knows what they were doing with each other. That's what they're thinking. But it's not that. Because it says they were never over in 210 years, one time, a dvar erva, immorality. So what do you mean? Hello. What do you mean to say that they were they fell into the forty ninth level of tuma? But the answer is halalu of the avodazar and halalu of the avodazar. Avodazar when they got to the yam, the sar yam said, "What am I splitting for these people? They're coming from Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim were of the avodazar of halalu of the, and they were serving idols. Also, that was their problem." And we know that Avodazara stands in a category of its own. Um, even though there's three cardinal sins, Averis, Arroyos, Shrikas, Dumb and Murder, and Avodazara, idolatry. But if someone plans to go kill someone, and he bought a gun, and he's thinking, when can I get the guy and where will he be? But at the end of the story, he never killed the person. He has a clean slate. The fact that he was planning to do it, and he wanted to do it. He didn't know he'd have a flat tire on the way to get to the guy. So he didn't even, he's not even happy he didn't do it. But the bottom line is he didn't do it. Clean slate. It's not nechshav. It's not considered in Shemayim as if he did it. But by the one exception to that rule is Avodazara. That if somebody said, I'm going to that church and I'm going to baptize, and he had a flat tire, he couldn't get to the church. He considered that he served Avodazara. That's the only Avera that falls into that category. So, <coughs> the, the fact that Yosef did not fall in. That's why we say it in Hallel. Hayom ro'o vayonos. The yam saw the image of Yosef and it split. But vayonos is going on the vayonos of our sedra. Vayonos. Vayetze hachutza that he ran outside. And His chus was big enough to be able to totally take away completely. And that's why he ended up being buried in Shechem. 
Nablus, which is the English word, is Shechem. What we started off our, our discussion this evening, that Yaakov Avinu sent him to Shechem because he felt the source of peacefulness would come from them and it would cure the brother's hate and anger and, and jealousy. And at the end, he ended up being buried in Shechem. Yosef HaTzadik. Now, the Pasuk says that when Yosef went out to find the brothers, it says, Vayim Tzo'ehu Ish. A man found him. And it was Gavriel, the Malach, the, the angel. So, Reb Chaim Sanzer once said, how do we know? Last week, Sedra says that when Yaakov Avinu went back to get the jugs, those little jugs that he had forgotten, and he had the fight with the Sar Shalesov, one of those jugs, as I told you last week, was the oil that they found in the base of Migdash and Hanukkah. And that's why he went back to get that jug, because he knew in 1700 years they're going to need that jug. Uh, very badly. But the Pasuk in last week says, that says that ish imo, a man encircled him and then attacked him. So there ish is talking about the Sar Shalesov. But this week when we talk about the Pasuk says ish, a man, it's talking about the Malach Gavriel. The Malachi. So Reb Chaim Sanzer asked, how do you know in one place the Pusik it says Ish, a man, and we say it was a terrible Malach last week, the Sarshalesa, the, the source of evil. And in this week, said, uh, when Yosef was looking around, he ran into a man, it says again, a man, and the Medrash says, this man was the Malach Gavriel. So asked Reb, Reb Chaim Sanzer, the Sanzer of In one place we say Ish is terrible, in one place we say Ish is wonderful. The Malach or the, the Sarshalesa. How do you know when it's good and bad, when it says Ish? So he answered and said that um, when Yaakov got into it, he asked him for a bracha. He said, I can't, I can't, I don't have any time. Today's my day to say Kedusha. I gotta, I gotta leave. Goodbye. But when Gavriel saw Yosef, he said, how can I help you? When somebody goes out of their way to help another person, it's a good malach. And when it's somebody who doesn't have a minute to talk to you, to, a pre, to, to discuss, to lend your ear, sometimes you know, helping someone doesn't mean $10,000 that you have to go and pay up all of his uh, grocery bills. Sometimes sitting for 15 minutes, you know, they say loneliness is the most, the, the, the thing that drives most people crazy, you know, or chas v'shalom suicide, I mean, there's terrible things that, that come out of this aspect of loneliness. 
But what is the antidote that we don't fall into the loneliness is Matavakesh. What are you looking for? How can I help you? Like Gavriel asked Yosef. When we give of ourselves, that is the golden key to success. You help another yid. As a matter of fact, um, there was a story of somebody in Europe who came to town and he didn't know where the shul was. And he saw a guy on the street and he said, oh, excuse me, could I ask you a question? And the guy answered and said, no, no, I, I can't answer any questions. I'm on my way to shul. I'm going to miss the minion. So the guy followed him. Be and he, he came to the shul and he said to him, you know, the question I wanted to ask you was where is the shul? <laughs> And and you you didn't have time to answer me. You said you're running to Schulz. I just followed you. And then he told him over this vort from the sons of Rov. Why in one place ish means the best thing and one it means the worst. Because in the best, in the case of the best, he was seeking out to help. He was sent here, the Malach Gavriel, go help Yosef. You're helping a yid, you're helping another person. And that is going to put you into the category of the good angel. And the other angel had no time to answer him when he asked him, you know, to do that. So what we really have to, I'm concluding this year now, we've spoken for an hour. Um, in our days, which are given to us by a Kurdish Baruchel, we should just try to maximize and a vehicle, an excellent vehicle, and many sit, sitting here in this audience um, are busy with going and feeding this woman, bringing food for that one. There's a lot of good that is being done, uh, and, and uh, you're lucky. You're lucky. It's a mazel, because how many others you ask them can do that? You can't even finish the sentence. Uh, I'm busy, I can't this, I have a headache. There's, they're built in 20 reasons not to do something good. But if a person could just challenge and swim against the tide, the current of what may be going through his mind, then he's like to beautiful things. Because Gamilas Chesed, like they say, all the Mephorshim say that Avram Avinu was chesed, but Yitzchak was gevura, davening, and serious, and Yaakov Avinu was Torah. And no one today learning Torah can match the Vilna Gons Torah or any of that. And our davening is not what it should be. Are we busy in the middle of Shemon Esrei thinking about something? We have to go to the grocery store at Shemon Esrei. You're talking to our Kodesh Baruch If you were in the Oval Office talking to the President, you wouldn't be thinking about something else. You'd be concentrating on what you're saying to him. But here we're talking to our Kodesh Baruch We're busy thinking about this and think like one Rebbe once went over to a Yid in his shul at the end of Dominic. He said, oh, Shalom Aleichem. So he said, 
Rebbe, I, I wasn't I wasn't traveling. I've been here every day for the last five years. So he said, no, while you were in Shimon Esri, you were thinking about the marketplace in Leipzig, and you were here, you were away from the whole city. Your whole mind says, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. So we have to sharpen up. But the Chesed, the Mephorshim say, of Avram Avinu, that the Vayikvis and Mashiach. It won't be the Torah level of the past quality, Will never would not match the the past doors. The Vilna Gaon before Rosh Hashanah said he counted eight minutes that he missed from Torah learning in that year. That he was doing tshuva on eight minutes. Who could say such a statement today? Who? Anyone? And the davening, the Hasidim and Rishon said they took him nine hours. They davened and davened. But the Mephorshim say, but Archen, and you see the chesed with the organizations and with the delivering of food and everything that's done, that that will bring, and that's why they say in Shmanes, we end the first bracha, Mogin Avram. We began the bracha, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Why not end the bracha? That's that first bracha. It begins and it ends. So why by the ending do we just say Mogin Avram? We should say Mogin Avram. Yitzchak and Yaakov, like we began the bracha. So they said, good, that's talking about the Yitzchak of the Mashiach. That Yitzchak and, and, and Yaakov, the Torah, the Schos of Davening, will all be learning, will be, but it won't be that level. But the level of Avram will be Messiah, the bracha, Messiah, the Doros, before Mashiach, with Chesed. And we should be Zoycha to lots of Chesed, and to be able to greet the Geula Shlim. Yes? I must share with you what happened to me on the way here. The bus was coming, I wanted to get on it, and I had a bunch of paper, a bag with papers, and it fell down, and I had to gather the papers. And the bus was right there. A lady who saw me went to the bus. She wasn't getting on the bus. She went to the bus to ask him to wait. He didn't wait, so he left. And she saw me with my broken a paper bag, my broken plastic bag. She had three bags with her. She took one thing out of hers and she gave me a new bag. Beautiful. Not only that, she went into the street to see if there's another bus coming, and it was. She even went to see if there's another bus coming. That last step is amazing. She said, there's another bus right here, Hashem loves you. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Anyway, have a good Shabbos and happy Hanukkah. Yes, and by the way, um, Sunday, uh, yes, we'll have the share. Yeah, you why not? I'll give it on Hanukkah. And uh, every person's invited. We have every night at five o'clock. I light the candles, give out a donut to everyone. Those who have been here know what I'm talking about. Uh, we give out Hanukkah gelt, we give out a chocolate bar to each and every person, each and every night of Hanukkah, beginning at 5 o'clock. Uh, and uh, we then have a Suda, a regular Suda, just like Shabbos, every night of Hanukkah, and everyone is invited. By the way, a tip. Somebody a long time ago told me when you travel for Nagel we use the ice bucket. Oh.
You mean in their hotel room? Yeah. But well, what Sarah and I do, we take along our things. If ever we forget, we take a, one of the garbage cans. Okay. And there's always a glass in the room, a glass. We always use the ice. Yeah, very good. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's a good tip.